Welcome to the Sunday Times Politics Weekly, where we unpack the big political stories of the week. My name is Mike Siluma. Our top stories this week that we will be looking at, uh, we will start with the state capture saga, which has taken an unexpected turn in the final analysis with the chief protagonist going to jail rather than finishing his testimony at the Zondo Commission. And then we will be looking at the Zondo Commission itself, where the connection between politicians and money has once again been at the spotlight. We will be looking at who are the characters who came before the commission this week and what else has been happening before Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo. This icon is racist. I have never, ever been a spy. Can the PBS bank uh, loot The problem is that pinky. I will never subject myself to whiteness. I'm listening. Can you have consistency, Honorable Chair? Corruption was an Olympic sport. They will always win gold. This is not a shift. Can you please come in? I'd like to welcome our guests now for this week's conversation, a political analyst, a Ralph Machecha, as well as our parliamentary correspondent, Tabo Mukoni. Welcome to the both of you, gents. Let us start with the big story of the week. Uh, Ralph, it looks like, in, in, you know, th- there's never a dull moment in South Africa. There, there, there are always things happening, you know, politically. This week is not different, but maybe it's different in a major way, in the sense that uh, when the State Capture Commission started, Zuma was at the center of it, and he was expected to be the star appearance. And suddenly, he's ending up in jail rather than finishing his testimony. Are you surprised at the turn of events? Uh, uh, greetings, Bramai, and greeting, greetings to Tavo as well, my colleague. Uh, Bramai, it, it, it's not surprising that we're seeing what we're seeing with this week's development. You correctly say that it is a, a big moment. It is a huge uh, development. I mean, a lot of people are saying that it's momentous. It's a huge uh, surprise and so forth. We are not surprised because if you look at how things went about, it was always going to get to this point. We have had a very unprecedented challenge to the rule of law by the former president, Jacob Zuma. We have not had anyone working outside the system and saying, I will no longer subject myself to the judicial system to the review by the court on a particular matter. We have not seen something like this happening. So President Jacob Zuma being on a defiance regarding the state capture commission, Zondo saying he's not going to appear there and also saying he doesn't care much as to what the court says about his defiance and also defying the court order. It got to a point where the court had no other alternative but to actually say that this is how the rule of law ought to be standing. We are upholding the rule of law. Mr. Zuma has to be sentenced. I mean, also unprecedented about this is the manner in which this issue was expedited. Are we sitting on a constitutional issue here or are we sitting on an issue that ended up at the constitutional court, an issue that should not have ended there. I mean, a question of someone defying a court order is supposed to be a a, a misdemeanor in court. I mean, you know, it's not something that one expects to have escalated to a point of the constitution, but it has gotten to this point. Mm -hmm. I'd like us to come back to that later on, Ralph, the whole 
issue, you know, the, the circumstances in which the, you know, the, the, the Concord ended up being the one that arbitrates in this case. Tabo, if, if at the beginning of the Zondo Commission, someone had said that Jacob Zuma would end up going to jail, not because he's stolen money or that he engaged in state capture, but because he refused to testify before the commission. Is it something that you would have expected? Good afternoon, uh, Bramaik, and um, to, to you, Ralph. It's something that I would not have expected. You know, Jacob Zuma is, um, is quite a, a, a character, full of surprises. He's very stubborn politically. But as someone who signed off on the establishment of the Zondo Commission of Inquiry when he was still president, I would have expected him to participate in all the processes and proceedings of the Zondo Commission of Inquiry. I mean, this is exactly what he said when he announced the establishment of this inquiry back in 2018. He implored on all of us as citizens and other political players to uh, give their full cooperation to the Zondo Commission of Inquiry. But when his uh, turn came to appear before the Zondo Commission of Inquiry and give his side of the story, he made a complete um, 180-degree U-turn, used every trick in the book, every step in the process over a two-, three-year process to avoid appearing before the Zondo Commission. And I never expected that of him as someone who had uh, signed off uh, on the Zondo Commission. So it came as a complete surprise to me that he would take matters to this far. I mean, he had the option of going to the commission and, um, you know, just um, as, as not that it's something to encourage, but it's something that other people have done. Um, they, 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 they've gone to the commission and they simply refused to answer questions. Oh, they suddenly couldn't remember. They suddenly couldn't remember, uh, you know, yes, from like, so that could have been an option for him. But for him, um, for someone like him who had affirmed an oath of office on two occasions to be the protector and the defender of the laws of the country, including the constitution, to take matters to this far was really astounding. Look at the price he's paying now. Ralph, with, without trying to turn you into a mind reader, a lot of ordinary people would be, would be wondering, Jacob Zuma is nearly 80 years old. He chooses to go to jail rather than just go to the commission and say, as Tavo is saying, you know, he could, you know, the easy way would have been for him to present himself, you know, like everybody else, you know, some of the people who couldn't remember their wedding anniversaries and all of that, couldn't remember who paid them and all of that. He could easily have taken that route and, and you know, presented himself and then said, well, I can't remember half the stuff that you're asking me. I'm so old and these things happened such a long time ago. Kind of thing. What, in, in your view, why would he choose to go to jail rather than appearing before Zondo? Yeah, this is a this is a very very interesting question, and I've been concerned about it, Bramai, because put yourself in in Jacob Zuma's position. Look at things from where where he stands. I mean, this is a man who certainly will not come out of the Commission of Inquiry very well, and there is a very high probability that. Uh, the ruling by the one of the findings by the Commission of Inquiry, the Zondo Commission of Inquiry, might actually recommend that he be charged. I mean, with uh, impropriety, his 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 hands it's 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 he's mentioned all over the place when it comes to impropriety. So, 
if you are facing a situation such as this, including also your corruption charges and so forth, you are aware that your culpability here is almost as clear as broad daylight. What do you do? You attack the procedure from the get-go. If you go to jail because you refuse to subject yourself to the procedure that you say is unfair, where you stand, that is still much better than going and being found guilty and still going to jail. The reality is that one way or another, Mr. Jacob Zuma is facing a serious possibility that he will end up in jail. And throughout his legal defense, throughout his uh, uh, litigation, he has always challenged procedure. So to me, it makes sense that uh, instead of going to the commission, which he, where he believes that uh, he's not going to be listened to, but read is that in his statement, he will not convince anyone otherwise. So he will be facing problem anyway. I see this as part of the political strategy. Is it going to work? I don't think it will work. Was it worth trying for someone who is very desperate? Certainly, it might have made sense that he need to stay at the procedure, be far away from dealing with any substantive matters relating to the charges. Remember, Pramai, uh, Mr. Zuma is going to jail, not because he's guilty of uh, matters relating to state capture, but because he just refused to show up there. The substantive matters he wants to stay away from responding to. He has been trying to avoid that by all means. So the question, uh, Tabo, is if, as is alleged, you know, the, the whole genesis of the state capture commission and investigation is that you had a president who was complicit or who was, who was like the spider in the web in the state capture project, right? Now, the same person, decides not to, to, to appear before the commission, would, would the commission's work be complete without his input, in your view? I don't think it would be uh, complete without his side of the story. I mean, uh, Jacob Zuma was president of the republic for, for, for effectively 10 years. So it would have been important for the commission to um, put questions to, to him uh, so that they get them on the record, whether he replies it or not. But I think... Uh, that would have given weight to the report or whatever recommendations that are going to come out of the Zonda Commission. But now we are in a situation where um, the Commission will just have to make findings against Jacob Zuma without having had his side of the story. And uh, that's that's quite unfortunate, but he, he left them um, no option. And I think they are sitting with quite a lot of evidence for them to arrive at certain findings um, against him. Ralph, can he save himself from an adverse finding by, by simply not going there, really? Or the, com- the commission will, will still be able to deliver a credible report without him or his input? Uh, I think that he cannot save himself by not going there. I mean, uh, we should also not forget Bramaik because Jacob Zuma never wanted this commission. And also the ANC never wanted this commission. We should never forget that. That uh, far back, he actually litigated against... Uh, uh, the idea that the chairperson of this commission should be appointed by Chief Justice uh, Mukhoeng. He litigated by all means against all of this. And by that time, the ANC actually never showed any different direction from where he was headed. They've never demonstrated an appetite to support this thing. So it, it, it was always clear from the get-go that he was not going to cooperate to this. And even his conduct of walking away from 
the process. It's quite consistent because he tried the legal process through litigation, through lawyers. It fails to work. He does not like the result. Then he walks out of uh, 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 the system. What I think would be critical for me is what recommendations will this commission put into place in dealing with uh, uh, the possibility of finding out further about Mr. Zuma's culpability in relation to matters on, on state capture. And I think this is where a lot of things will most likely happen. Are we going to see recommendation for prosecution? I think he foresees that possibility. Mm. And earlier on, you, you were starting to talk about the, the, the technicalities, as it were, around the, the constitutional court's verdict. Now, the people who support Jacob Zuma, or I mean, I, I think you saw Mzwanele um, Maini's you know, initial response, you know, where he said that, look, this is a split decision. And, you know, the, in fact, there, there are some ju- some justices who feel that the decision is unconstitutional, etc. Do, do they have a case, you know, you know, arguing that out of the nine uh, justices, uh, two dissented. Therefore, the, the entire judgment uh, and, and sentence become illegitimate. I'm, I'm laughing out of the mic because... <laughs> A very desperate explanation. Look, the Constitutional Court is not made of judges who are exercising a referendum on matters here. So it's not a question of uh, that uh, they all have to agree on something for it to be to be valid. No, the, the, the majority judgment stand. And the mere fact that a minority judgment exists or someone else dissented in relation to this does not necessarily mean that uh, the issue at, at hand is not yet being is not well well sustained and i mean this is just a 15 a 15 month sentence it's not that severe of course if it applies to mr zuma is severe for that matter but it's not that severe and and perhaps with good behavior he will be out and perhaps the dissent could point to maybe mitigation maybe the state need to be lenient maybe whatever intervention that can be said to be required in him saving the sentence, but not in evading this sentence. So the idea that uh, there is a dissenting judgment, I think, I think it, it's all disparate. I mean, there, there are fundamental decisions that have been made by this by the constitutional court. Not all of those decisions, uh, judges all agree. They were unanimous on that. There, there is always a, a dissenting judgment. I can name some of the cases. There, there, there are some cases that are fundamental where some of the judges, they will dissent on a judgment. Sometimes they will agree. Uh, that is when they say they concur but then go for different reasoning as to how they arrive at their decision. It is all the exercise of the concord. What we are looking at it is the final decision, how it is being justified, and I think the decision stands now. There are people who have, or even even before the Constitutional Court, uh, you know, uh, pronounced. Jacob, some of Jacob Zuma's supporters, you know, were saying that, you know, if, if he goes to jail, that there's a risk of violence or civil conflict. How should we treat that? Do, do you think that Jacob Zuma and, and his friend club have got the clout or the, the ability to, to make good on the threat? I don't think so, Mike. I think they are overestimating their, their, their hand or their influence. I mean, this is something that they've been doing even within political discussions in the, in the ANC itself. We've always been told that uh, the REG brigade is quite strong, quite solid in the, in the ANC. They, they're going to make life difficult for, for, for Cyril Ramaphosa. But I mean, since he came into office, Cyril Ramaphosa has been defeating them every stop of the way. If you look at how debates 
unfold in the National Executive Committee of the ANC and in the various provincial structures. So I think these are these are just acts of intim- intimidation. Or, I mean, acts of desperation. Um, I think they they just trying to see if they cannot you know, intimidate law enforcement agencies from executing the order that he should be fetched uh, from Ngandla should he fail to hand himself over to the SAPS for purposes of imprisonment uh, come Saturday. You look at what has been happening outside his homestead of Ngandla since this court judgment came out. There are not a lot of people who are flocking to Ngandla to try and block law enforcement agencies should they need to go and fetch uh, Jacob Zuma. So I think I think these are just people who are overestimating their influence. I don't think it's going to reach a situation where there will be all-out violence in defense of Jacob Zuma. Come the haywire, I think he'll be deserted. Ralph, do you think we should be concerned? Uh, Tabo says no. I agree with Tabo there. Uh, we shouldn't be concerned. I mean, <laughs> one of the things that is very clear is that those who are defending Jacob Zuma have got no moral basis upon which to stand. I mean, uh, the reality is that uh, the evidence that has been led at the commission, the evidence that has been led across various uh, ad hoc inquiries, including the PIC, including at SARS and so forth, all of that evidence actually undermines President Jacob Zuma's allies. I mean, things have changed. It is not 2007 now, Bramaik, where people are just against President Mbeki and then they will support Zuma. Now Mr. Zuma has got a track record in government, which he is not even willing to explain as to what it means and its its its, its intricacies. So, and, and that track record that we're speaking about, it's, it's leaving him and his allies morally weakened. I mean, as I'm talking to you, I'm looking at some, uh, the likes of uh, Andile saying that uh, uh, there ought to be national shutdown and so forth. I wonder, South Africans, when it comes to the cost-benefit analysis, looking at unemployment, the difficulty that they are having, will there spare a moment for a shutdown that has got to do with Zuma, who is just defending... A, a dereliction from having to respond to uh, allegations of uh, impropriety. I, I don't think I don't think the nation will stomach that, Pramay. Okay. You, you know, before we, we wrap up, let's look at uh, the, the Zondo Commission itself and what has been happening in the week. It looks like we're at the commission and once more we're talking about money and politicians or a politician. Uh, yes, uh, Bramaik. I mean, uh, on Monday, the Deputy Minister of State Security, um, Zizi Kotoa, appeared before the commission. It was quite a show, a very embarrassing one for him, um, for that matter, because evidence was led against him to show how he has been uh, pocketing money from people who had been uh, benefiting from government tenders, um, in particular a Mr. Uh, Jehan McKay, a CEO or a, a, a one of the former directors of EOH, um, an IT firm that has been um, getting government contracts. I mean, during his time as a national spokesperson for the for the ANC, Zizi Godwa scored a, what he calls a a 100 uh, million rand um, uh, loan from uh, Jehan McKay, which he did not need to pay or repay. Um, at a time when McKay was pursuing government tenders. And um, um, Zizi says this was uh, assistance from a friend um, during his time when he was facing financial difficulties. 
he only used that money to um, finance his lavish um, lifestyle, uh, including to uh, procure a jeep to the tune of 869 million rand. And um, to, to, to this day, Zizi doesn't seem to see anything wrong. Mm. Ralph, can I ask you this? So many people have got either freebies, others had their houses electrified for free, others, you know, get, get got Aston Martins. In this, in this case, Estabo is saying someone gets given a million rand, which, which is like, you know, an unimaginable figure for most South Africans, you know, uh, to just like land on, on, on one's lap. What, 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 what would you say is at the heart of the problem? you know, in terms of our politicians, particularly the politicians in the ANC, and, and money and gifts. Are they underpaid? Are they, are they, what, what, what is the issue? No, Abraham, they are not underpaid. Our politicians earn quite a lot. Actually, uh, compared to people across the world, you are going to find out that we, also, we stand out there as some of the highly paid politicians. If you look at the benefits and everything that uh, accrued to them by virtue of them being in those positions, it's quite enough money. But... Uh, but Mike, if you have a politician who wants to drive sports cars and still want to have the job of being a politician, a public service, public servant as a core function, then we, we, we have trouble. We're in trouble because our politicians seem to believe that uh, they're entitled to this luxury life. They want us to uh, take their relationship with the people who are benefiting from some of the state contracts. They want us to see that relationship as normal. And it is not. I mean, you find that someone wants you to understand, uh, Esther was saying that, no, there's no problem. I, I got one million. There's nothing much into it. By the way, I, I, I took 890,000. I bought a Jeep. Uh, come on, guys, I did not even invest this money. It's just a small change. And, and they want this thing to pass as normal without even understanding how the society feels. It shows how they have lost touch with reality on the ground. And this is beginning to bite them because it is so sad to see uh, young people such as Zizi Kota, where if you were to look at people who could be taking the NC uh, forward in the next future, people like him, but they've just been consumed by having to respond to this type of allegation. Lots of careers uh, are beginning to be uh, prematurely ended by this. Perhaps there was never a career there. I don't know, Grammar. Mm, mm. And, and of course, just briefly, you know, th this is another potential problem for President Ramaphosa to have to deal with now, having uh, campaigned on a on a ticket of clean government and anti-corruption anti stance. It's going to be difficult for President Ramaphosa. He cannot save some of the allies. You know, uh, the thing is that corruption seems to have been democratized within the ANC. It's difficult to find people who don't have uh, things to respond to. So for President Ramaphosa, clearly he will be losing some who are seen as his allies and he cannot save them. If he tries to save them, that is going to undermine his broader anti-corruption stance. Okay. Uh, that's all we have time for for this week uh, on the Sunday Times Politics Weekly. And I'd like to thank our guests for this week's conversation, a political analyst, Dr. Ralph Matecha, as well as our parliamentary correspondent, Tabo Mukoni. Yeah, thanks very much uh, to, to the both of you. And by the way, you can catch our podcasts on Iono FM, Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, or wherever you prefer to get your podcasts. Until next time, stay safe, sanitize, wear the mask, and avoid crowded places. I'm Mike Siluma, signing off.